4. We finally crossed the barrier of chapter 3, heading into the last chapter now um, in the book of Colossians. And um, I'm excited to continue into this. Today we're actually going to pretty much look at one verse. Uh, I know it's kind of crazy. You guys are going, one verse, oh my goodness. He's going to talk forever about one thing. Uh, that's partially true. You're not entirely incorrect about that. Uh, but we're going to be looking at, we're going to uh, look a little bit just at verse 1 here, um, one that was read just at the close of the last uh, section and portion of Scripture that we read. But in Colossians chapter 4, we're going to see a continued theme with what we've just been looking at all the way through chapter 3, which was related back to chapter 2, which was related to chapter 1. Um, I just want to read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4, and then we'll look at some of these different things. Uh, again, Colossians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer, and watch in the same with thanksgiving. That second verse is where we're going to be spending a majority of our time today. We're going to be talking a lot about prayer, watching in the same, and then closing with talking about thanksgiving. Um, but just a little bit of recap, all the way back to what we've been looking at from chapter 3, because again, we just completed a chapter. We should probably, we want to take a little bit to remember what it is that we just looked at. In chapter 3, it started off with saying, because of everything that we've just looked at in chapters 1 and 2, this is how the, the person who is a new creation, the person in Christ, is going to live. They are going to display these different attributes and these characteristics. And it starts off, chapter 3, talking about the person. It is a very personal, it is a very intentional, it is highlighting the individual at the beginning of chapter 3. Saying, this is where it starts. It starts with you as a person. Your relationship for, as a person with God, that is the core of what he's talking about at the beginning of chapter 3. And then it moves down into the home, which is where we spent a few weeks. After you have put on the new man, the person who has come to Christ, now, as you individually display these attributes as a result of knowing Christ, now it is going to have an effect on your home. It starts with the person, then it works its way into a home. And that's where we spent the last couple weeks looking at wives submitting unto your husbands. Husbands, loving your wives. About parents and how to properly train up and instruct a child. And from that point on, we're now moving into a part where, okay, we've, we, we've dealt with the person. We've dealt with the home. So now it's going to extend even further out, moving from the greater to the lesser, and now we're going to be touching on speech as we walk a little bit through chapter 4. But it continues here in verse 2 about talking about prayer. So we're seeing that prayer is also one of the big parts of our speech. We all understand that speech is important, how we communicate with one another. From individual basis to now into the home, the relationship in the home, to now its relationship with other people. It is very difficult to go the entire day without talking. Some of you, not so much. You guys know me well enough. That's very difficult for me to do. I, I feel like I have to talk at some point. I'm okay with quiet, but I prefer to say something. And some of you guys would prefer never to be asked to speak for a single week. But our speech is incredibly important. It is one of the most focused on uh, parts of the body in all of Scripture, talking about our tongue. And we're going to look here in a minute at James chapter 3. But the mouth is incredibly important, and it is not something that is easily controlled. I don't think, I'm going to take a leap of faith here, that any of us would say, I am 
perfectly uh, wonderful and God-honoring in my speech on all occasions. I don't think any of us here are so bold as to say, I have completely trained my tongue. And if you have, we're going to look at James chapter 3, and I'm going to confidently say you would be incorrect and deceiving yourself in in thinking this. Uh, One of the seven ancient wise men of Greece, his name was Bias, which I think is an awesome name. Uh, He was sent an, an animal to sacrifice. And I love this story because... I like some of the older stories, and I I love where this is going. But he was sent an animal as a gift to sacrifice, but he was told to cut out both the best part and the worst part of that animal before he would sacrifice it. So you know what he did? He cut out the tongue and sent it back. Because the tongue is both the best thing that we have as people, but yet it is also the absolute worst thing that we have. And we're going to look at that in James chapter 3. Turn turn there, if you would, to James chapter 3 before we uh, look too much here into Colossians, but I want to go to James 3. Again, you hear the tongue. You guys aren't surprised that we're going to be looking in the book of James. One of the very, uh, one of the more familiar passages that we have here, but we see a long conversation talking about the tongue. Starting in James chapter 3, verse 1, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, also the ships, which though they be so great, are driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned about with, such, with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. We see in this conversation that the tongue is an incredibly small thing, but yet has such power and such control. And we see the relationship, the images here of a boat and of a horse. Um, some of you guys I know probably enjoy uh, riding horses a lot. I know particular ones of you that love to. Um, I've done it a few times. I cannot imagine getting on a horse with one having nothing to hold on to or having any way to control that horse. Getting on something so much bigger and the only thing in this world probably stronger than me, obviously, you guys know, weight room, right? Okay, but imagine getting on a wild horse and just sitting on it and saying, all right, I'm going to control this thing. How well is that going to work? Or getting on a boat with no way to steer it and just saying, hey, I'm going to control this entire boat right now. There is absolutely no way that this is going to happen, but yet the tongue is so controlling in our lives. And I, and I love this because we see there's such power to do both good and bad within the tongue. He continues on to say, For every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. This is not a glowing endorsement yet of the tongue. Saying you can tame every beast, you can tame everything else ever in the world, and man has an opportunity to tame it and is able to be successful. But you know what man cannot ever do? Completely tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. 
And in verse 9, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no mountain, no fountain, not a mountain, that would be incredible, both yield salt water and fresh. And I love this, this conversation as James is writing this. You can, I, I picture him writing this and, and being so conflicted and stirred up in, in his own self and greatly convicted of the use of his own tongue, saying in verse 9, With the same tongue we both bless God and curse men which were made after the image and similitude of God. These are completely um, opposing things that we have with the tongue. The same tongue that offers up the praises we just finished singing is the one that is cursing a man who cuts us off in traffic. Or any other situation we can come up with. I, I don't need to list the applications. I think they're pretty much infinite, right? The same tongue does both of these things. James is showing that the, the power of the tongue, the inconsistency of it, and the great damage that it can bring. It uses the image of fire. What does fire do? Absolutely destroys everything in its path. Think about the last couple weeks. I think we already have an illustration of that. We understand, living where we do, the great effects of a fire in a community and how incredibly destructive it is. Fire doesn't play favorites. It doesn't necessarily have um, any kind of self-control restraint. With all the wildfires that we see in this area, we understand the great damage that it is. But we see that the mouth is one of the great indicators of the spiritual condition of a person. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see what it is that he says. He says, Woe unto me, I am undone. He says, I am a man of what? Of unclean lips. Because it is our mouth that we show who we truly are. We say, how do you know about a, what do you know about a person? Well, I've heard him talk a lot, so I have a good indication of what he values. What you talk about the most is probably where your heart is the most. Are you positive? Are you thinking to build up people? Or are you tearing people down? That's pretty evident in your speech. The mouth is an incredible indicator of the spiritual condition of a person. The unregenerate person is going to have vocabulary that matches it. In Romans chapter 3, verse 13, it describes this saying, Their throat is an open, open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, and their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Now imagine the indictment of, of being told that your mouth is an open sepulcher. It is an open grave. Nothing but death is coming out of it. The, the smell that would be coming out of an open grave is not something I think any of us are rushing to go be around. It, it's full of deceit, but out of their mouth comes cursing and bitterness. And so we took that little... Uh, little trip over into James because I think it's important that we understand what it is that our tongue can do. We all have been on the receiving end and the giving end of either positive or negative speech. We all know the damage that it can do. We know how hurtful an unkind word can be because we've received it, but we've also absolutely been on the giving end as well. And so as, as Paul is writing this in Colossians and in verse 2, we're seeing him saying to continue in prayer. And prayer is one of the things that we will do with our mouth, confessing to God, praying to God, making petitions known to him. I think 
many of us who have been in church most of our lives, we understand that prayer is important. We're told to pray. But so many times, and, and again, we're basically talking about just prayer for the rest of the time now, just so you know. So don't, don't think I'm going to be branching off all over the place. We're, we're looking at prayer this morning. And what a great opportunity that is. Prayer is not something that we just add on to the meals. Not something we just do before meals. Not just something that's a passing thing that, hey, the church got together. We should go ahead and pray today. When we look biblically at what the church was founded upon, what they were to do when they got together, the list was incredibly small. Study the word, break bread and fellowship, and pray. And how often do churches have programs and entire systems based upon other things outside of those three? And then we wonder, why are things not going the way that it should? Why is the church failing to actually be the church? Because they've completely removed these three core elements from everything. Well, you can't teach doctrine because kids and young adults and other people, they just don't want it anymore. You just need to entertain them for a little bit. So we've got to cut that one out. Well, we don't want to do fellowship and get together because I have so many things in my life. I can't meet together with other people in the church. I can't invite someone into my home or I can't go and fellowship and visit with other people because you don't know how much work I have to do. Well, that's two out of the three gone. Well, prayer, well, we'll make sure that we include it in any service. We'll make sure that that's a part of what we do, but it's not really going to be essential because what are you really doing when you pray? If you're just praying, did you really achieve anything? Did you get anything done? And this is what I hear so many times is we can't just pray. We need to, like, do something. And I laugh because it has the understanding that prayer is not doing something. When there's so many of the most fundamental, foundational things is spending time in prayer. And I think it's also interesting, whenever you look throughout church history, nothing great has ever been done in the history of the church without first being absolutely covered in prayer. You look at the ones, these great movements that we've ever seen throughout history, all started with a small group completely devoted to prayer. This is, what, this is what the apostles did. This is what the church did when they would gather together. And it wasn't just, we'll pray for five minutes and then we'll be ready to go. This was the absolute bedrock foundation of what they did as a church. And so when Paul here is writing, he's saying, continue in prayer. I don't think anyone here has an issue with prayer. I'm not going to say that we, we just don't want to or we don't think it's important. I think we all have an understanding that prayer is important. But here Paul is saying something much greater then, hey guys, pray when it comes into your mind, or pray when it's scheduled, pray when you're supposed to. But to continue in prayer, and I think that is the most difficult part of that passage, is to continue in prayer. At times it's not hard to pray, particularly depending on the circumstance. Meals come up, most of our kids, they're really good. Oh, okay, we got to pray. Kids pray. Boom, we're into the meal time, all right? That's the circumstance we know we've been trained to pray, and that's awesome. Do that. So many other times, our circumstance is going to dictate our prayer life. Things are not going the way that I want it to. I pray so much when things are bad. Man, I, I, I really don't like what's going on in my life. I, I really need to. Remember the psalm that we just looked at this morning? The rock that is higher than I. Guess what? When things are bad in my life, it is so easy to look around and look for something to grab a hold to and to cling to and to pray. We cannot let our circumstances dictate how often we are going to pray. Prayer is the most important speech that our mouth is ever going to utter. And I truly believe that. The most important conversation that we're ever going to have, 
the most important expression of our new life. Prayer is where we intercede on the behalf of another person. We see that so many times in Scripture, whether it's Abraham, whether it's Moses. I was talking with uh, one of the pastors out at camp this week, and we talked a lot about prayer. And one of the ways that um, they schedule the camp is specific time individually to simply pray together, um, both, both individually and then corporately, of gathering together and to pray, to be able to study through devotions and to be able to kind of create these habits to help some of the teens that if they don't have a structure, to be able to follow and to go to. And, and it's funny because you hear so many times kids coming back and saying, man, I've never really just prayed for 15 minutes each day like that. But everyone always returns with positive words about it because something incredible is happening when we pray. If we truly understand what goes on when we pray, I think we would uh, have a much better understanding of it. Prayer is when we as believers come to the throne room of heaven. It's where Christ is mediating not only our salvation, but our prayers, the whole Trinity being present there. And so here when he's saying to continue, this is to actually continue. This is always. We see that all throughout Scripture. Ephesians 6.18 saying, praying always. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles gave themselves to prayer continuously. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, to continue diligently in prayer. At no point is this just to bookend a service, to bookend your relationship with God, to, to bookend your fellowship of, all right, we'll, we'll pray at the beginning, we'll pray at the end, but to absolutely be a core part of what it is that you're doing. And so when we see here to continue in prayer, this is the, the God consciousness is what one commentator put it as, to always be presently aware of the relationship to God in all, in all things. We see a situation going on. For many of you, you guys saw the reports of the wildfires when it started, Lake Christine fire, right? So many of you, as opposed to saying, wow, that's bad, that's a fire, and just going on about your day, said you related that to God. You related that to, we need to pray for this situation. I know you guys. Many of you, immediate response was prayer. Some of you, if you see an ambulance or a fire truck, anything go by, your relationship, because of your mind and understanding prayer, is to go immediately into prayer. Whatever the situation is, you say, Lord, I have no clue what's going on right now, but I just pray for the situation. I pray for those that are responding. I pray for anybody that's in need. Because you're consciously aware that everything is inevitably related to God. Incredibly aware of the power of God and the power of prayer. So continue in it. This is without ceasing. This is for it to be never-ending. Now, does this mean you're walking around throughout Target, walking around at work with your eyes closed, head bowed, eyes closed, walking throughout, praying all the time? Absolutely not. That would be ridiculous. You'd probably get fired, I think. I may not get fired. I think I may make it out all right. But just imagine, obviously, we're going to be realistic here, but this continuing is consciously and actively always being aware of it. Everything is prayer-focused. Everything is relating it to God. Continue in it. The root word here is kartareo in the Greek. It basically means strong. The verb here is to be steadfast, to endure, or for those that don't like some of the more specific words, it's to hang in there. It's the cat on the string. Hang in there, baby. Right? Hang in there. Persevere. Endure with it. Pray continuously. This is to be strong. That's the root word here, but it puts a preposition at the beginning. And if you remember, any time I've ever tried to give a little bit of Greek insight, you put a preposition before it, it intensifies the word. So don't just be strong in prayer. 
be incredibly strong in prayer. Super strong, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't really know anybody more current than that. That dates me a bit, even though I'm not that old. So I don't know why I would use that. But he's saying this is to be strong and steadfast. Super duper steadfast. There you go. Super steadfast, super enduring, super everything. This is the idea of perseverance in your prayer life. This is not just, okay, I know I need to pray for the situation. I prayed, boom, done, moving on. Persevere in it. Endure in your prayers. Flip over to Luke chapter 11. We see there's a couple different stories that we can look at here of perseverance. But I absolutely love this one, partially because it involves bread. And I love bread. But in Luke chapter 11, verse 5, Jesus says unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Some of us have been in this situation. Hey, I need to go borrow this because someone just showed up. I need to go and get something. We don't trade sugar and milk and those things as much as we probably used to. But that's the situation that we have here. Friend, give me, lend me some loaves. I have a friend on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. Now stop for a minute. Those of you who have children and have ever had all of them in your bed, this is a completely realistic story, right? You're, you're laying in your bed. All the children are piled on top of you because they have no understanding of personal space. You, this guy literally cannot get up. I'm, I got smacked a whole lot whenever I'll sleep with Benji or Maddie. Benji likes to roll over, but he doesn't just like roll over like this. He likes to do one of these things, right? So I've been, yeah, anyways, I'm mad at him. Don't laugh, Benji. But this is what he's saying. He's already in bed. There's not a bunch of heaters. This is how they're staying warm. The whole family's together. They're tucked away in the bed. He is not going to get up for anything right now, right? He's yelling out, the door is shut. Leave me alone. I'm not getting up. Verse 8, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. So this is, look, he's not getting up for you just because you're his friend. He's saying, nope, sorry, too late, should have been here sooner. I am not getting up for these things. But if you persist at doing this, you continue to bang on the door and say, no, buddy, I really need those loaves. Eventually, what would you do? You're going to get up and give it to him just so he'll go away. So this is what we're seeing, this understanding here of persistence. And he continues, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, and I love this, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Persevere, endure, persist in your prayers, aligning them with the will of what God has, has made so clear 
aligning it with the will of the Spirit, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Continue in your prayers. Don't just pray at one time. Persist in them. And the images here is like a person that doesn't even care about you as much would eventually just get up and give it to you. How much more will a gracious and good Heavenly Father give what you ask of Him when it's within His will? And then we see, not just to continue in prayer, but to watch in the same. Essentially here, the word is to be awake. Which is interesting, because when I think about prayer and having to stay awake, immediately I go to the disciples, right? The disciples in the garden. Hey guys, I'm going to go and pray. All I need you guys to do is stay awake. All right. Pretty good about that. Failed miserably. Not just once. Couldn't even stay awake. But this also means something far much more than just the word of being awake, but it's also to be aware and watchful of things to pray for. How often as we go through our days are we looking for things to pray for? Do we intentionally go and ask people, hey, I would love to pray for you. Is there anything that I can be praying for for you? And this extends beyond a prayer meeting on Wednesday night or beyond times where it's specifically ordained for that, but simply caring about a person saying, hey, how are you doing? And if they say, good, taking a moment saying, that's awesome, praise God for that. Is there anything I can be praying about? Seeking to look for things to pray for. Being vigilant in our prayers. One of the most encouraging things about prayer is that we get to see answers to prayer, right? So many times when we, do, when we take prayer requests, it's, it's a lot of prayer requests and pray for this and all these things and absolutely continue to do so. And then it's, hey, can we get a praise in here? Um, it's really quiet around praise time, right? Which is astounding because we have so much to be praising God for, so much to be thankful for. You know, all the prayers that we had just been praying about as a church for a month, two months, three months, longer. Were those prayers ever answered? If so, praise God for it. Let everybody know about it. And, and I think too often we get an answer to prayer and we're like, wow, that was really cool. God answered that prayer. And we, we can kind of move on a lot of times. Um, the, the speaker talked a little bit about journaling. And I think something where when, when we're taking down prayer requests and you receive an answer to prayer, write it down. Remind yourself that, a pray, that the prayer was answered because I think too often, and I can speak personally, I have prayed for things and when there was an answer to prayer, I was like, wow, that's really awesome. And I just forget. Or there's even times I don't even realize it was an answer to prayer. Think about how many requests you have ever made and how many times you've received an answer to prayer. Because I think so many times we're not even incredibly aware that we received an answer to prayer. But yet God is so good, He is so giving, He is so gracious in answering the prayers of his people. Those of you who have experienced answers to prayer know the incredible joy that it brings. You've been praying for something, enduring and and continuing, persevering in your prayers, and and it finally gets answered, and the incredible joy that that brings to you, whatever the situation is. And if you haven't experienced it, my guess is that it's not that it didn't ever come, wasn't ever answered. It's just that we're not being watchful for it. That maybe we just kind of have forgotten. Or we're praying so long for a job and then later a job comes and we're like, man, I'm glad that I applied for that. And then we just continue on. Not realizing that these are the prayers that that God has answered. And then it closes it here and we'll be done in just a moment. 
with thanksgiving. Again, I've talked about this a lot. Thanksgiving is littered throughout all of Scripture. The idea of doing all things with thanksgiving. Because this entirely removes pride. It takes away any idea of entitlement. The things that we are very poor at as a Western culture. American culture does not want, us, want you to be thankful. It doesn't want you to think that you have to rely on other people. This is the pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Do it all yourself. You don't need anybody. You are an individual. Community is a necessity um, just for convenience, but it's not actually something that's going to be profitable. Right here as he ends with thanksgiving in verse 2. It's the fifth time this is mentioned simply in Colossians. And I just want to look at the other ones briefly to show them to you real quick. Chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Giving thanks to the Father for these things. Why? Because in verse 13, he hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And in chapter 2, verse 6, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. That word abounding obviously meaning overflowing. Chapter 3, verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Verse 17 of chapter 3, And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And then in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Are you thankful not only for who God is and what he's done, but are you just simply thankful that God allows us an opportunity to pray? How incredibly powerful that that is, that, that a sinful person with our state, our condition, knowing all that we are, is able to enter into the throne room of heaven to be able to offer up prayers to an almighty and perfect and holy God. And that we don't have to go through a priest to be able to do this, an earthly priest, but we get to go through a great high priest to be able to go through Christ and to offer up prayers in His name so that the prayers will meet the Father. The incredible, beautiful relationship that's going on there. The new man, the new creation, the one who's been made alive in Christ has a new mouth, one that greatly desires to offer up prayers to the Heavenly Father. Pretty simple. Spending time in prayer is spending time with God. I think so many of us would say, oh, I'd love to spend time with God. If only I could find a way how. I have to wait till I get to heaven to spend time with God. Nope. You can do it anytime you want to. And the beauty is there's not a ton of rules. There's not, you can only do it from 10.30 to 11. A pastor or a priest doesn't have to be present. You can do it by yourself. You can do it with other people. Do it with your kids. I encourage you to do it with your kids. Because remember, we just looked at the home. You can do it with your spouse. We just, again, looked at the home. Do it individually. We looked at that a few weeks prior. The incredible gift of prayer that we have to be able to intercede on someone else's behalf, to be able to have communion in prayer with the one who created the entire world. And I think so many times we can struggle with it because did I really get anything done if I prayed? A lot of us like to see things get done. Some of you guys, actually, I'm going to take a poll. You guys like polls, right? 
How many of you guys have a hard time moving on to the next thing before one is finished? So you have three projects. You have to finish the first one to go on to the next one. How many of you guys say, I have to finish the first one? Okay, a few of you. Some of you are like, please make sure you finish everything before I raise my hand because I don't want to have to change it. Okay, I'm the kind of one that says, look, I don't care if the first one gets done. I'm bored with this part a little bit. I need to go over to number two, three, four. Just mix it around. It'll all get done. Uh, yeah, some, someday. <laughs> this is how you get a whole lot of projects going and nothing gets done. But eventually, we'll get there. And eventually is a pretty long time. We like to just accomplish something. Taking time to just be by yourself and to pray. And it's not, it doesn't always just have to be pray for this person, they're struggling with this, or, or pray for this because I'm not feeling well, and all these different things. But even just taking time, and one of the things I love most about the camp is taking the time in the chapels. Um, it's kind of the adoring God time, I think is what they call it. The teens would know better than I would. But just taking a moment to simply recognize who God is and be thankful to him for who he is, not just because of what he does for us, but saying, I am thankful to God because he is merciful or because he is patient or because he is holy. Talking about his attributes so much more than just because he's given me something. So instead of saying, God, thank you for giving me a job, being thankful that God is a God who gives. And so, so many of these things in our prayers, being thankful for these things. Because everything that God has given us is a gift. We absolutely don't deserve it. The breaths that we are using and borrowing right now are absolute gifts from God. The things that we're not always thankful for. But each and everything that we have is entirely a gift from God. The last thing is, just want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. Again, talking about thankfulness, which was always on Paul's mind. Being thankful to God for his promises. Thanks be to God who always gives us the victory. Thankful to God who always gives us the victory. Your prayers are not in vain. They are not wasted. You never fail when you're praying. Some of us are incredibly afraid of failure. Some of us, it drives us absolutely crazy. We try something and we fail. Well, guess what? If you're sharing Christ with a person, you're never going to fail. If you're praying, it's never going to fail. God is the one who always gives us the victory. And I know you're saying, hey, we just talked for about a half hour on prayer. I need something to do. Some of you guys are doers. You want to be told, so now do this, right? What do you think I'm going to tell you to do? Pray, right? Spend time praying today. Maybe start a new habit of spending time in prayer, maybe with another person, just by yourself. And I know you're saying, hey, you spent all that money going to, to seminary and to Bible schools to, be able to tell us to pray? Yep, sure did. So simple. The people that we look up to and we're so encouraged by and saying, wow, what great men, women of faith that they are. I can almost promise you each and every one of them was incredibly devoted to prayer, to spending time with God. And even being quiet enough to not always have to be the one speaking, but to simply sit and to listen. And the Bible teaches us how to pray. It teaches us that we are to pray scripture, right? And when we praise God, how do we praise him? By reminding him and more so reminding ourselves of who he is. I think so many times we can overcomplicate it. It might be the simplest sermon I think I've ever done in my life. But I think a church that is truly founded upon prayer 
can do incredible things because that's how we know it's not going to be relying on our strength, our cleverness, our own abilities, our own desires, but making sure that our desires align with God, with His Spirit, and are hopelessly pursuing Christ. What an incredible thing that that could be, to be the church that in a community, especially in a small town like this, says, man, it seems like they're always praying. They're having prayer meetings. They're doing things. And every time they're together, they pray. Every time we see them out doing something together, they are praying. And men and women getting together out to eat, guess what? Take time and pray in the restaurant. What an incredible testimony of a church to be one that prays, because guess what? It's one of the three things we're called to be and how often we overlook it. Let's pray.